1: Hello and welcome to the political party. Today's guest is David Gork, the former Tory MP and of course for many years one of the most visible members of the Cameron and May years, uncork the gork as um, as the government often did, one of their most able and capable performers was uh, always on TV, always on the radio, and is still very visible and writing phenomenal articles, like the ones he's written in The New Statesman. I've put a link to that and his Conservative Home article the last couple of weeks, uh, his New Statesman piece, The Conservatives Are Lost in a Fantasy World and a Danger to the Country, uh, which is a phenomenal read. And his uh, Conservative Home piece are on uh, The Budget is a really good analysis as well. And we start by talking about that. But before that, I mean... David spent seven years in the Treasury under uh, George Osborne. He was uh, there from the very first day. Um, as Exchequer Secretary to the Treasury, then Financial Secretary to the Treasury, and then Theresa May made him Chief Secretary to the Treasury seven years uh, as a minister and as a cabinet minister inside the Treasury, as well as holding other government positions as well. He is uniquely placed uh, to critique uh, Kwasi Kwarteng's budget, and oh boy, does he do that. Um, But before we come on to... It's just a fantastic conversation with David Gork, um, as you'd expect, really. Very honest, very funny, and very thoughtful. And But before we come on to that, I can announce my next few guests at the live shows at the Duchess Theatre. Obviously, they are uh, every fortnight, and the guests are as follows. And there have been a couple of tweaks to these, but anyway, I can now announce the full lineup uh, until the Christmas special. So on Monday the 3rd of October, that is the next live show. I'll be joined by Mick Lynch, the General Secretary of the RMT, who, of course, I mean, many media interviews, but particularly the one... You're a liar you're lying, uh, was probably the TV highlight of the year. Two weeks after that, on Monday the 17th of October, my guest is Grant Shapps, um, someone who has played a large part in my um, last tour, thanks to his um, decision as then Transport Secretary to ban excessive announcements on trains. Obviously, he's someone who's been at the centre, really, of Conservative thinking for a long time, and was very prominent in the Cameron years in opposition, and then in government, as held multiple um, ministerial and, and cabinet posts under various Tory prime ministers and really one of the most talented and most capable uh, ministers of his generation now on the outside. That will be absolutely incredible because Grant Chaps is one of those people that I really like who's always very openly political, very open about what political strategy strategy they're deploying at any one point so that'll be really good uh, on monday the 7th of november my guest is david dimbleby the one the only for many years the host uh, of question time and of course so many general election nights has guided us through momentous evenings in our national history changes of government they have all been narrated uh, by him on monday the 14th of november my guest is matt hancock now as you'll know he was meant to do the 17th of october But it's now the 14th, don't ask but if you bought a ticket for the 17th and you want to see Matt Hancock on the 14th instead you can either still come and see Grant Shapps and buy a new ticket for the 14th or you can transfer your ticket over but um, you should have been contacted by now and on Monday the 5th of December my guest is Rachel Reeves and then on Monday the 19th of December it is the Christmas special so the next five, the 3rd of October Mick Lynch the 17th of October Grant Shapps 7th of November David Dimbleby 14th of November Matt Hancock 5th of December, Rachel Reeves. What an incredible lineup that is of left and right, different generations, different positions. It's exactly what this show is about. I am just, I can't wait to be back. We are also, obviously, and uh, we've had to rearrange the Emily Maitlis and John Sopel event that was meant to be on uh, Monday, the 19th of September, as soon as we have. Uh, a date for that I'll announce it on my Twitter feed and I'll announce it on the next available show here and it'll be put up on the website Uh, so as soon as I've got that date sorted uh, I will let you know that will be a thriller as well and I've got some amazing guests penciled for next year Uh, but for now Lynch, Shaps, Dimbleby, Hancock, Reeves what amazing time to be talking to Rachel Reeves after everything that's happened at the Labour Party conference but of course the other thing that's been happening in political economic news was the government's budget they can call it whatever they like it was obviously a budget especially given the magnitude of the changes uh, to our tax system and various other reforms and the perfect time to have David Gorkon, someone who was inside the Treasury in various ministerial roles for seven years. You're going to love this. David we have to start really with your assessment of the current government's economic policy you had 7 years in various uh, treasury roles at ministerial level i think it's fair to say based on your new statesman article this week you don't think the government has handled this properly yes
0: i think that would be a fair statement matt um it is really i mean it's 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 really quite depressing um, I, I don't think we should underestimate the consequences of this in terms of a of a loss of credibility. How that will mean that interest rates are going to have to go up quite a lot higher than they otherwise would have done. Uh, that they are going to be tighter on spending than would otherwise have been the case. And I don't think that's particularly good in these circumstances. Um, and you know, probably they, they may even have to reverse some of the tax cuts because they've lost credibility. And, and it just seems to me that it is absolutely vital at all times to maintain your fiscal credibility with the markets. And it was perfectly obvious that that was at risk. If you looked what happened to the pound in advance of the statement, if you looked at uh, what had happened to gilt yields, and lots of people... I was, you know, I was, I was one of them. But many people who know the markets better than I do were saying, "Be really careful, you know, don't push this." And yet they did it anyway. You know, they kind of, you know, it was sort of they like had plenty of warnings, and so they just pressed on uh, regardless. And I'm afraid are now sort of reaping the consequences of, you know, you can call it incompetence, you can call it arrogance, you can call it dogmatism, whatever you want you know, it was a reckless move on Friday. And, you know, the country is going to pay a price because it is much easier to maintain credibility than it is to regain credibility. And now that is the business that the UK is in. And, you know, that just um, strikes me having, having been in the Treasury at the time when, you know, particularly when we started, there were question marks about the credibility of the UK and yeah, we did have a big deficit and there were sovereign debt crises going on elsewhere. Uh, and I know it's not viewed on fondly by many people that period, yeah, yeah, that fiscal policy after 2010, but it was genuinely motivated by the concern that, you know, if, if we lost our credibility, then it was going to be a very painful way back. Uh, and now it's just been thrown away uh and and i sort of the more i think about it the angrier i get the more frustrated i get uh and just sort of feel that you know this is this is going to be painful for for really quite a lot of people and it wasn't necessary
1: and is it what is it that the markets don't like is it the package as a whole is all of it bad or are there specific elements in there that have caused the the crashing of the value of the pound and all the other reactions that we've seen
0: I think fundamentally what they don't like is a sense of a government taking a big chance, you know, of taking unnecessary risks. Now, if you look at, you know, elements of it, so the, you know, quite a large amount, you know, 60 billion pounds or so is, is all about the energy price freeze and you can quibble over the particular design of the policy, but in the time available, you couldn't get the perfect policy. And I think you know, I think the markets understood that governments, most governments are taking steps on that. And it also has the advantage of being temporary. I mean, it's going to take a couple of years, perhaps, but it's 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 temporary. I think they were nervous about the reversal of the uh, previous tax increases. So the NICS increases and the corporation tax increases. I think that put them on on guard and, and they were kind of you know, teetering on the edge. And then on Friday you had well the stamp duty land tax stuff had been been briefed uh, but then you had the additional rate of income tax going and I think it was the cumulative effects, lots of policies that had taken us to the edge and then in particular that policy tipped us over the edge and they and I think the market thought you know what is this government thinking in you know a time like this it looked self-indulgent. And, um, you know, that's that's kind of and 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 it looked as if it was sort of placing very great weight on the supply side uh, response to that measure, which may be true. It might not be true, but the the evidence isn't, you know, certainly isn't overwhelmingly in favor that this is going to bring great benefits. Uh, And yet the sort of government seemed to be banking it. I'd add one other thing as well which is, um, look, excluding the OBR from this process meant that the government appeared to be making a leap in the dark. And the markets were, were in the dark as well, but the government seemed to be making a leap in the dark. If you really care about the public finances and you're a Treasury minister, you'd want the OBR to do the analysis because then you knew what you were doing. And the fact that they didn't want them to be involved, I think, told the markets a story.
1: What about the politics of this then? Obviously, Liz Truss won the Tory leadership, promising tax cuts. On one hand, you could say, well, look, she's a politician of a word. This is how she became prime minister. And now she's delivering a pledge. Do you get the sense that Liz Truss has always been ideologically of this ilk? Is she simply doing this to cement her relationship with the Tory party or is it something else?
0: No, I think she's completely sincere. Uh, uh, about this, I, I don't think, and, and you know, there's all this sort of stuff going on. It's all about you know hedge funds who were shorting the pound, and or it's pleasing the donors of Tufton Street's think tanks. It's, that's not it at all. Liz is absolutely a conviction politician. I mean, she does like stirring it up. She likes a row. You know, she 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 she, she quite likes being provocative and controversial. That that is of her of her nature. You could see when these announcements were made and it was sort of quite jaw-dropping. I mean, I was watching it and they've really done this. Um, and I can imagine how Labour were reacting in the chamber. And you could see Liz was really enjoying that. So there's, there's a sort of, there's, there's an element of it, which is she quite enjo- enjoys the sort of the battle. So there's a temperament point, but she's, I think genuinely, you know, of the view that what makes a successful economy is low taxes and low levels of regulation, and you know, the state getting out of the way and people being enterprising, and, and those those um, uh, attributes are what makes a successful economy. So I think it's 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 utterly sincere. Um, uh, it's just it's just the wrong judgment. You know, I don't I don't you know that's like I don't question her motives. So I just question her judgment.
1: Some people might say, "Well, the Tories are a low tax party. She's just delivering what Tories always talk about. So why is she wrong to do this now?"
0: Well, uh, look, you know, most conservatives do favour low taxes, uh, and including, uh, you know, this is where I have a little bit of sympathy, and where I'm, um, you know, probably completely out of tune with public opinion. Um, but you know, there are, you know, we should be competitive. For though for the talent and for the investment, which is very mobile. So actually, I favor lower um corporation tax rates, but it's got to be in a fiscally sustainable way. And there's always been this, this challenge on the right between the belief in low taxes and the belief in sound public finances. And within the Conservative Party, um, you know, ever since Margaret Thatcher took office in 1979, the leadership of the party has been clearly um, you know, on the side of, of fiscal conservatism, of sound public finances. I was, over the weekend, I had a flick through Geoffrey Howe's memoirs on, on the 1979 budget for something I was, I was writing. And, and, you know, he, absolutely, he's making the case there for sound public finances. And, and, and that has been, you know, the tradition of the Conservative Party for some time. A little bit different in America. You know, Reaganomics was much more about, you know, cut the taxes and, and the spending will fall and the economy will grow. But it's a different constitutional system, different responsibilities held by different people, um, and uh, the 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 US has got the dollar. It's got the world reserve currency, and it gives you greater freedom, and it's it's at much less risk of the markets being spooked than is the case here. So so I think this is you know genuinely a break in recent conservative tradition, uh, and not a welcome one.
1: And do you think Truss and Kwattang genuinely believe in trickle down economics that somehow this will benefit all? Or do they just think this is a, a, even a colder political judgment, that this will benefit people, that they would rather it benefit, and that's fine, and there's no pretense that actually there will be a, a whole economy benefit to this?
0: No, I, I th- again, I think, you know, I don't really question their motives. I think it's the former. I mean, I, th- I think the, sort of the whole trickle-down economics as a, as, as a phrase is um, yeah, is a really good one if you're wanting to criticise Tax cuts at the top end, uh, and it's been sort of very, very effective. Um, although you know it was once you know, used by advocates of the, of, of the policy. Now I think genuinely, um, what, what Liz and Kwasi think is: look, if you have got a, a dynamic, enterprising economy, if you tra- attract attracts um, high earning people to the UK. You know, they do contribute, I mean, you know, the, 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 the highest income 0.1% uh, of the population contribute 10% of income tax receipts, Yeah, you know, that's 50,000 people, you know, putting in billions of pounds in income tax, uh, and I think their argument is genuinely, you know, make us a competitive economy, if you get economic growth, um, you, know, you have a richer country, and yes, they would redistribute a lot less than some would do. But, you know, they would argue that, uh, you know, if, you, if you're if you getting a smaller share of a much bigger pie, that is, you know, that is better than a, uh, you know, a big share of a very small pie. You know, that, I think they genuinely think that. And I think if, if you want to pump fund public services, uh, well, they'll argue you've got to have a strong economy. And, and let's be honest, there is a sort of spectrum here on which, you know, we we are are all on to some extent, you know, there's very few people who will say, you know, it's all hundred percent about equality. Um, And, you know, there's, there's very few people who will say, you know, I just don't, you know, don't care at all uh, about a you know, about equality or, 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 or distribution, but you know, all of us are somewhere along a particular spectrum spectrum, but, but you know, it would be fair to say that Liz and Quasi are a little bit further than, than most Conservatives.
1: Having worked in the Treasury for so long, knowing it as well as and intimately as you do, what do you think the reaction would have been inside the Treasury when they saw the, the reaction of the markets?
0: Head in hands. Um, I can only assume... That, uh, that, that they were warning the Chancellor. Um, I mean, it, by the way, it doesn't help that the Permanent Secretary uh, was sacked on the first day uh, of the new government, uh, a Permanent Secretary who uh, has vast experience of dealing with financial crises, uh, Sir Tom Scholar, um, but it also doesn't help that that sends a signal to officials of kind of, you know, be careful what you say. Uh, and in my view good ministers should want challenge from their civil servants so that sent a, a signal but even so i can only assume that all the risks were pointed out um by treasury officials uh, and also so so one a kind of sense of despair about the fact that you know they probably feared this might happen and their advice was was overruled uh and then second a realization that this is going to make their jobs, much, much harder in future because you have now, coming back to what I was saying earlier, much harder to regain uh, credibility than it is to maintain it. And we've lost it. We have to regain it. And that is going to mean some really tough decisions in terms of public spending and, and I suspect, on tax policy as well. Um, So, yeah, I think Treasury officials will be in despair.
1: I know you're on a a separate political... Well, you're 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 not in the party at the moment as far as I'm aware, but... What's Quasi-Quartang like? I
0: I mean, I've known Quasi... I didn't came to know him that well, but I've known him a bit for for quite a while. He, he I, I was the Conservative candidate in Brent East in two thousand and one, and was still a member of the association when he was selected to be the candidate in two thousand and five or for thousand and five. I mean, he's a he's a big figure in every way. You know, he's got a sort of big booming voice, and yeah, you know, he's a huge guy. Uh, you know, very charismatic, very clever. Um, uh you know self confident but I, I personally have never found him you know personally arrogant um but you know he's very self- self confident um you know got a good good sense of humor um but you're really quite i think quite ideological and and quite impulsive you know if i was sort of judging him as a you know, as a minister over recent years uh yeah, you know, I, I, you know, as you know about, I've done a few media rounds in the morning, and when you're the minister that's put up, your task is to not to create a, an act of news. You're not trying to move anything on. Uh, you just want to get the government line over and 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 not turn it into another story. If you're doing a defensive performance, which is what ministers have to do most of the time, I've always been struck with Kwasi. Is there always seems to be a new story that flows from what he says? Um, now, yeah, that has its that kind of has its advantages because it kind of makes him a slightly bigger figure and people are talking about him and and there can be some authenticity because usually it's because he's said what he thinks and and people quite like that but it's not always helpful to the to the cause um so so uh, yeah and again I, I sort of slightly turning to the substance the fact that this weekend yeah you know, after he'd made his statement and after there was a market reaction he still went out and did an interview and dropped very heavy hints there were more tax cuts to come which was kind of not the message that i think um he should have been putting out when you've already got gestatory markets. So, so he tends to shoot from the hip a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, personally, I've, I find him—I've always found him really, really pleasant um, and good company. But, but, but perhaps a little, you know, uh, for a Chancellor of the Exchequer, a, a, a little bit more of a risk taker than than say Philip Hammond.
1: Well, that's what I was coming to. Really, he does seem to have a different temperament. When I think of Recent chancellors, even if you go from Brown to Darling to Osborne, Hammond, Sunak, you know, they're all, they're various different shades of Tory and Labour, all of them, but they all have one thing in common, which is that they, they took being seen seriously, seriously, and they wanted to look like numbers people and they wanted to look like they're in, in charge of the numbers, spreadsheet, fill and all stuff like that. You know, they they, they got, they tried to at least create a, a reputation around themselves that they were on top of the numbers and they were almost bookish in a way, despite all their different personalities. He feels like a total departure from what we usually expect from a chancellor. And I guess in a way that can and be seen as a bad thing.
0: Yeah, I mean I I mean one to be fair to so quasi on the kind of bookish point, he has got a PhD and um and he's written several books, uh, which um you know which which is which is something. I mean he's clearly a a kind of clever person. He's but he is more of a maverick. I mean, I think that that is definitely the case. He is more as a sort of personality um a bit of a of, of of a maverick figure, as is as is Liz. And, and one of the things that sort of slightly worries me, I mean, you, normally, you know, over the years, the, the, there's always been this problem of a difficult relationship between number 10 and number 11, and the prime minister and the chancellor didn't get on, and, you know, we had the Blair-Brown years. Um, uh, Osborne and Cameron was was the exception, but, yeah, you know, it was a difficult relationship between Philip Hammond and Theresa May, for example, Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak. Now you've got two people who are temperamentally and ideologically very, very sim- similar, uh and you know they're personally close friends and it's just you slightly wonder whether there's a bit of a group thing there and and no one said you know hey hold on are we sure about this uh, and and that's a sort of slightly dangerous and it's unusual dynamic you know not, it's not that often you can look at the government and go you know what the problem is that the prime minister and the chancellor get on too well um that's that's an unusual problem for us uh, but I think I think that's part of it is that you know neither of them were, were sort of you know inclined to sort of push back and say you know that's um, this is this is isn't this a bit mad?
1: <laughs> Just
0: thinking of trust. Then,
1: I mean, in those periods of time when you're in the cabinet in in the in the Cameron and May years, would you ever have guessed Liz Trust would have become leader of the party and prime minister?
0: Yeah, I'm not completely dismissive of it. I mean, partly I I can't resist the opportunity to point out that I wrote a piece in June saying, I think this trust has got a very good chance of of winning this. Um, and the reason why not to you know, the reason I thought that in June, and I suppose looking back on it wouldn't have ruled it out previously, is that there's an ambition there. There's a kind of hunger uh for it, and then the kind of, you know, the willingness to to kind of put herself out there and to some extent take take a few risks to raise profile and build up a following um that you know politically she's not a million miles away from the kind of the base of the conservative party you know she's she's you know generally you generally want to be i think as as a sort of leadership candidate a little bit to the right of the status quo, not so far to be, you know, seen as, as as on the extreme, but still, you know, sufficiently distanced. And she was always likely to position herself um, on that. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I um, and I, I mean, she, she, she had a, you know, she, she did have a mixed ministerial career. She, she was more comfortable in some places, you know, so international trade, uh, for example. Um, as a junior education secretary. I think as chief secretary, you know, she was upset about being demoted, but, but yeah, I think she quite enjoyed the job. Um, and, and she had a less happy time when she was at MOJ. Uh, I think everybody kind of could see that. Um, but, yeah, there, there's, there's a toughness and a resilience and an ambition and a hunger um, and, um, you know, her, her political instincts are pretty popular within the Conservative Party.
1: And how do you feel about the political direction of the government? Obviously, you, you, you resigned from the government when Boris Johnson became Prime Minister. You then have the whip removed. You stand as an independent against the party that you'd served for so many years that had been such a big part of your life. Do you think the party has learned the lessons of the Johnson years, or is it failing to do so, and if anything, compounding them?
0: I think failing, to be honest. I mean, look, it's a, different, it's a, it's a slightly different set of problems, um, I think there there are certain themes that run run through. I think there's I, I think I think there's a, a refusal to face up to hard facts within within the party that there's a tendency to be you know easily deluded. Um and, and and that has become a growing problem. I think it's become less pragmatic. Uh I think Boris Johnson and Liz Truss are really quite difficult, diff, sorry, different figures. Um, and yeah, you know, my point about Liz being, uh, you know, essentially a conviction politician, she she has genuine beliefs. I know she's changed positions, changed party, but I think I think that sort of running through it is essentially a sort of anti-establishment libertarian uh, streak to it. Um, w- whereas I don't think Boris Johnson, particularly, you know, Boris Johnson believes in Boris Johnson and that's what you know what he, what, what what he's about. He's 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 much less principled um uh that means he might he probably wouldn't have made the the mistake that we saw last friday um just because the politics of it was so bad um but i think you know i'm not sure that he has gone into politics for the right reasons uh and you know liz in terms of we'll do the work we'll be on top of the brief you know we'll we'll understand one would hope you know have a sort of better understanding of the sort of policy issues um than than boris johnson but but they i mean overall yeah uh, you know, um yeah having left the party having felt that boris johnson wasn't fit to be prime minister um and, you know i said he wasn't going to rejoin the party whilst he was leader uh i'm, I'm not feeling a sort of huge urge to um put my membership application me in at the moment
1: if there was a snap election and there was an election this week could you vote for the conservative party
0: well, obviously, I didn't vote last time for the Conservative Party. Um, and I mean, I'm one of those who considers themselves sort of politically homeless. I solved this problem last time by running myself. Um, so that gave me someone to, 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 to vote for. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I'm necessarily going to go to that length uh, to solve that little problem again. Um, but no, I would. Um, I I I would struggle yeah I'm not there's I've got no great enthusiasm for 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 other parties I think you know the labor party has obviously made great strides since 2019 uh but I'm not a you know I'm not a labor supporter um so so yeah I'm 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 one of those and I think there are plenty of us who feel you know politically homeless and in in a way that you know that you did in the Corbyn years, uh, and uh, you know, so so no, at um, uh, you know, that hasn't that hasn't changed. I've got a I've got a higher personal regard. you I think you're detecting. I've got a higher personal regard for Liz than I do for Boris, um, but but you know, I'm, I'm also bloody furious about you know what what has happened in the last few days.
1: It must be very difficult for you as someone who was at the centre of two. Tory administrations really and and was you know putting your talents and your uh your whole life to the service of the country at a senior political level and had a, a highly successful political career to when it shows you how volatile politics is now you're not even in parliament you have no desire to stand again for the conservative party I mean obviously history could have been different different decisions could have been taken and had a you know a fork in the road been been a, a, a different one you'd you'd still be in the cabinet. I mean, do you do you mourn but, the loss of of, of of a cabinet career?
0: Well, yeah, they sort of sliding doors. Where I didn't I didn't know until some time afterwards, but a couple of people told me this, and then it was confirmed in in David Cameron's memoirs that had the referendum result gone the other way, he was going to do a reshuffle, and it was between me and Jeremy Hunt who was going to become Chancellor. Um, And so, uh, you know, it should have been a big step up because I wasn't even in the cabinet at the time. Um, I would very much, you know, have been seen as as sort of, you know, really George Osborne's deputy has gone off to be foreign secretary. And, you know, I'd be seen doing all the sort of hard work and he'd really be in charge. But I was kind of used to that. So that was was fine. I've been doing that for years. So I would have taken, I would have taken, the position of Chancellor on those terms, um, but yeah, look, do I do I miss it? Yeah, of course I do. I mean, it's a tremendous privilege to be a minister. I mean, I was, you know, you mentioned the New Statesman piece I wrote, and I was fortunate, okay, not as Chancellor, but as the Minister for Tax, to be involved in something like sixteen fiscal events, you know, whether they were autumn statements or budgets or whatever, and it was a you know, tremendous experience uh, to be involved in that. You are know, intellectually challenging, but you know, fascinating uh and and then sort of subsequently i was fortunate enough to be a secretary of state and and you know, you can really get to grips with 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 things even in a government that was struggling and you know just playing for time to some extent under under theresa may in the last few months um there's still things that you can do um that are very satisfying so yeah i miss miss that but you know, it wasn't as if there was a sort of huge dilemma that I had to sort of sit there and, and go, well, you know, I could do this or I could do that. So, yeah, at the time, the choices all seemed very straightforward to me as to what I could do and what I couldn't do. Um, and yes, of course, I wish things had played out differently. But look, you know, I had nine years as a minister very very few people get that you know when you look at the people who have been in opposition for many years or go in and yeah you know, their career gets cut short you know they're unfortunate about something or they have a falling out with somebody you know a lot you know i have 9 years as a minister that's a pretty good run um so i can i you know i can't feel hard done by
1: no but i guess you know it must feel like one minute you're there at the center of things of a country like the uk making big decisions and and affecting britain standing on the on the global stage and affecting the lives of millions of people acting on the principles that you've held for many many years and then all of a sudden politics has changed and and you're on the outside i mean you're still young you're still in the political prime of your life we shouldn't rule out a a return of of david Gork to parliament one day should we
0: well, look. I mean, I, I my career came to an end not when I wanted it to. Yeah, you know, it wasn't a sort of oh well, I've you know. But i mean, much as I say, I had nine years and and so on. I would have you know, I'd have loved to have continued. The the problem I think Matt is look you know it requires some kind of realignment, and I think there is um, yeah that's immensely hard to do under first past the post. Um, uh, you know, the, 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 to some extent, I think there was an opportunity in 2019, I think, had the Liberal Democrats been a bit more imaginative and and kind of encouraging. Because, you know, in the end, three of us sort of stood as who had been Conservatives until September and three of us stood as as, as candidates. Yeah, I think if a different approach had been taken by the Lib Dems, um, we could possibly have uh, you know found more. You know, if if they'd been given a, a sort of fair run and support for the Lib Dems, we could have entered into some kind of PACS. That would have given a bit more of an impression that the Conservative Party was properly split, which in truth it was, um, and could have got a message out to 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 more conservative voters. Look, you don't you, you, know, you don't have to go into this Johnson versus Corbyn thing. If there's a strong centre ground, we can end up with a sensible, pragmatic government that doesn't involve Jeremy Corbyn in Downing Street. Um, I mean, it, it, yeah, it was a hard argument to make, but I think, yeah, had more had more people like me run, uh, that might have happened. And had the Lib Dems played ball, that might have happened. Um, so, but yeah, the, the, the problem, t- you know, to answer your your question is... Yeah. Could I imagine ever wanting to go back? Yes. Is it a practical proposition just at the moment? Doesn't look obvious you know, to me uh, unless something sort of more dramatic happens. Um, although I do, you know, I do feel that the Conservative Party is 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 creaking. You know, it really is in terms of. Yeah, a, a lot of a lot of people who you know, share my political views, who are still broadly and who are still in the party, feel you know fairly uncomfortable. And and I do think if we had PR and I know yeah. Labour delegates voted for that, uh, I I think you know it would be only a matter of time before the Conservative Party split into a you know a, a very sort of purist UKIP type party and uh, a kind of moderate liberal centre right. You know, business orientated um type you know party um but but you know we haven't got pr yet and that might not be coming for a very long time ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkled down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments
1: Your, uh, the, the crucial project you were a part of, really, was, was, was the Cameron years, was uh, 2010 to 2015. Obviously, and you had arguably more senior cabinet positions after that. But, but really, those years at the Treasury w- was where the, 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 the coalition government's reputation really was forged and where its central programme was. Um, what was Cameron like to work for as a prime minister and what was Osborne like as a chancellor?
0: Well, one of the curious things about being a Treasury minister in those years... Is that um, because George was so powerful, um, uh, and, and because the relationship between George and David was so close? So they, um, yeah, they talked to each other all, all the time, and, and David was genuinely interested in in Treasury matters. you had been a spad there, but you know, economics was the sort of the heart of what the government was about. It was an economic project, but but I curiously had very very little to do with the prime minister. Because, you know, if there was a Treasury matter to be dealt with, you know, they were they were talking every morning and, you know, it was sort of sorted at that level. George, um, though, of course, I had loads to do with. And uh, actually, he was terrific to work for. Uh, and I, I know um, you know he's not always the most popular figure amongst everybody. Um, but I think I think you found you find officials enjoyed working for him as well so you know he was open to ideas he was consultative yeah you know, he'd want to know if you know if you won his confidence he'd want to know your opinion you know he would he would he would trust you with things he was prepared to let you get on and do things so you know quite a lot of my brief sort of more to do with the sort of administrative HMRC side he said you know you crack on with it you know I'll let you get on with that you've got my backing um and um yeah, he was, you know, thought on, on top of the brief, thoughtful, bright, inventive, but, but you know, also with, you know, willing to, to look at, you know, other ideas and, and suggestions. And so, you know, meetings were genuine exchanges of views. I mean, I learned a hell of a lot about how to be a minister from just you know, it, that side that the, the public never see of, of conducting policy meetings with officials you know, I can remember, you know, he would, everybody in the room would have an opportunity to have a say and you could have been, you know, a junior press officer who was, who was there just because you were going to have to, you know, prepare some press lines or whatever, but he wanted to know what your views were. Um, you know, and, and I think that's, that's, you know, there was a lot to that. So I learned an enormous amount um, from working uh, with, with George and, 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 thoroughly enjoyed the experience
1: obviously at the time you know the Tories are elected as part of a coalition in 2010 on the back of the global financial crash in the sense that um, spending had got out of control and you know however true or not those narratives are that that was kind of the the, the explainer of, of, of that election victory and then we had to tighten our belt and all the rest of it at the time it felt like there was quite significant public support for what the government was doing but it feels like in retrospect now. Austerity's has kind of got a bad name you know is that a fair analysis and and is there something to be said for the economic policy of that of that government
0: yeah I, you're right it's got a bad name and it's 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 become very unfashionable i slightly wonder if i'm more than slightly wonder but I, I i i'm starting to think the events since last friday have to some extent made the case now you you can argue about whether it was all necessary, and I, I think there is a debate between how much work taxes did and how much work spending did. and personally, I think we should have we should have done more on on taxes and less on on spending, but that was really politically very, very difficult, but but that's what I think. Um, uh, but you know we're, we're starting to see what happens if you lose market credibility. Uh, and and one of the problems that those of us who were involved with austerity have um, is that you know it's it's sort of like an insurance policy that never got cashed. You know, we never we never had to call within, so we ne- we always kept credibility. We didn't have a market, a you know, loss of market uh, confidence. Um, we didn't go through what some countries went through uh, at that time. And what I fear to some extent, this country is going to have to experience in the next couple of years, and um, so so you you can easily see a few years later. Well, well, what was the point of that? Why did we need to do all of that? You know, we didn't. The markets were fine. You know, interest rates were really low. Well, interest rates, yeah, they were really low, but 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 that you know was that in part because countries were generally you know trying to build up as much credibility as possible, uh, and so I would you know I I would defend that i also think there was a sort of timing point that if you didn't take action at the beginning of a parliament and you didn't you know and in, in coalition we had a reasonably comfortable majority if you didn't take action then when were you going to take action you know, when were you going to start to bring the deficit down you can you know you can make an economic case that, you know maybe it would have been better if it had been delayed a year or two but for the political reasons i don't think there was a choice of sort of you know right now we're going to get really tough in 2012. I just don't think you could, have, you could have done that either. So, you know, I think, I think you know, a lot of it was necessary. Um, the other thing that I think has made it really hard is that, you know, the plan was we'll go through some pain. We know it's going to be painful, but, you know, there's the sort of bright sunlit uplands at the end of it. And we started to see that. We started so so the UK economy grew as fast as any G7 economy from I think 2013 onwards, 2013, 14, 15. And then you get to 2016. And suddenly you have, you know, for reasons that for a moment shall remain nameless, suddenly the pound plummets in value. Inflation goes up, import prices go up, business confidence is completely lost. And we then go through a period where living standards sort of, you know, rather stagnate business investment plateaus uh, and the public finances, which, you know, which were being relaxed. They were a lot better than they were, but, but the public finances weren't as strong as they might've been, which might've been that it was a sort of genuine dividend. And I do think, you know, coming back to sort of forks in the road uh, and had remained one in 2016, if you look at what was happening in the world economy, 2016 2017 the world economy was doing very well we weren't doing particularly well but the world economy was doing very well and that would have been you know a bit of a bit of a boom time uh the public finances would have been much stronger uh living standards would have been rising and you know we could have started to see if you like the 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 benefits of the sort of the tough years and i think you know had we had you know those those you know if 2016 2017 2018 have been years of sort of strong economic growth um, a little bit like the sort of Thatcher period you know, know this doesn't apply for every part of the country uh, but you know the Thatcher period you think of it as you know some tough early years and then you had the 1980s which were a very prosperous part prosperous time you know living standards rose very significantly and and, and so on Um that 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 would have been replicated. And I think people would have sort of seen austerity as a necessary stage to sort of moving through to a period where we could have funded public services much better uh, and, and so on. But it isn't quite how it, you know, it works out. So I think there's a sense of the, the sort of, you know, the benefits of, auster- of austerity were essentially, you know, robbed by um, that Brexit vote. Just thinking of Thatcherism. What was it that inspired you
1: when you were a, a young man to to become a conservative? Was it Thatcher? I know for a lot of that generation, it was for Osborne and Cameron. It seemed to be Thatcher. Was it for you?
0: Yeah, it was actually. Um, I mean, this doesn't sit well with you know my position as sort of centrist dad and you know, <laughs> uh, you know Twitter's left left wing Twitter's favourite Tory type of thing. <laughs> but it, it has to be said, it was. Um So I ad- I admired the conviction side of it uh i well yeah, she i think she was demonstrably right on a lot of big issues maybe you know maybe it was more it was it was harsher and more brutal than it needed to be but you know i i you know the country was in a heck of a mess in 1979 and had been going through a long period of relative decline and she did turn that round uh and um i i sort of you know, I, I came. I mean, I was sort of simply sort of lower middle class backgrounds. You know, my my parents left school. You know, at sixteen and so on. And um, you know that sort of sense that it didn't matter where you came from. There was the, the sort of meritocracy of it. You know, so if you were kind of, you know, bright and ambitious, um, but you know, not not particularly privileged in your back background, then you know, Thatcherism did speak to you. Uh, you know, of that of of that era. Um, and I suppose that sort of fitted with, 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 with me. Uh, so, so yeah, I, 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 I admired it. And look, I was, you know, I have, you know, I was, um, I was much more right-wing then than I am now. Um, uh, which, but, uh, which means I hope I can sort of speak with some, I don't know, a small amount of authority on kind of where Liz is coming from. But, but yeah, I, I think, um, you know, she was, she was a huge figure, uh, and I think you know she essentially you know she she may have gone about it in a more brutal way than was absolutely necessary but i th- I think she did move the country from being very much on the wrong track to being on the right track
1: so over those years when you're you're going on a political journey from being maybe a sort of thrusting young thatcherite to to centrist to having the, the the right phrases to use that period when you're in government and you're effectively a moderate member of a, of a centre-ground Tory Lib Dem coalition, as it was for, for the first five years. Um, how did you view the Eurosceptics or the Libertarians in your own party and how much of the energy of the government was diverted to dealing with them? I mean, I, I know from a Labour point of view, the way the Blairites viewed the Corbynites is, 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 is a similar sort of thing.
0: Yeah, so I think during the coalition years... Um, they were a sort of painful, you know, fringe element. I mean, look, you know, I was pretty Eurosceptic as as, as well, not a, really a lever, but pretty Eurosceptic. Um, uh, but the, the the sort of, you know, there were those who were sort of endlessly agitating for a referendum on the European Union and you know, increasingly sounding quite ukip But But they were quite marginalised. In the Cameron years which of course they hated uh, and that was just storing up problems uh, and they made the government's life a, a, a misery um, but it became much more of a problem once we lost the Lib Dems because we had a smaller majority and so you know relatively small numbers of conservative MPs could make your sort of you know life really difficult and you know, if they rebelled then you're going to face all sorts of Problems and so so losing, yeah. You know, in a way, we we gained a majority because we were no longer in coalition. But at a practical level, it felt like moving from having a comfortable majority with the Lib Dems to having a very narrow majority. Put have, put a lot of power in the hands of a relatively small number of backbenchers, and and that's when that's when things started to go wrong, uh, and it became much harder work. And so over time, and and you know, um, you know, sort of slightly jumping. Forward. I, I I um my patience sort of ran out over all the kind of vote meaningful votes. You know, it was it was a kind of look, you know, I know Brexit's a really bad idea, but people have voted for it. And so let's try to make the you know, let's try and make the best of it. But you know okay, you guys won and my side lost, but but let's respect the votes. Um, but you know, we've got to recognise there are some complications here that maybe you didn't appreciate at the time you know like over northern ireland and things like that 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 and we've got to be pragmatic about it and i kept you know advocating and voting for a deal that i could see was you know much worse than what we already had much worse than staying in but i felt you know duty bound to kind of compromise and respect the vote essentially and yet these people were voting it down again and again and again, and and I thought, well, you, you're only going to accept a Brexit that is so damaging, so so pure, but so you know uncompromising and and, and so damaging to the interests of this country. You know, the, the, I mean, the very end, I kind of gave up, right? So be it. You know, if it's your hard Brexit or it's no Brexit at all, then it's no Brexit at all. You've had your chance. Was my view, uh, and I wanted a second referendum, and, and I would have campaigned for for Remain. Uh, but but you know, it just sort of it just sort of wears you down. And where I worry about the Conservative Party because you know, electorally, actually, it makes a lot of sense. You know, they can't afford to allow the right to be split. Uh, so therefore, you cannot allow room for Nigel Farage uh, and his his ilk. Um, to, to, to sort of, you know, steal those votes away from them, you know, that they have to keep, you know, keep positioned pretty close to Nigel Farage. They can't give him enough space. And if that is the case, then it's hard to see, you know, what's the dynamic that will, you know, deliver good liberal centre-right government. I mean, that, that, you know, went into politics because that's what I, well, you know, maybe less liberal when I started, but, 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 you know, that's sort of what I, you know, uh, the, uh, but that's sort of what I want. And, and what worries me about the Conservative Party, I've got close friends who, who share a lot of my views but reach a different conclusion. Um, but what worries me about the Conservative Party is that it's always going to be kind of dragged off not to allow enough space for Nigel Farage uh, or, or, or his successors. Um, and then, you know, so at what point can it properly deliver the type of government that I think we need?
1: How preoccupied were, were Osborne and Cameron and, and the rest of you at the time? Because the conventional wisdom goes that in 2014, UKIP did really well in the European elections. Uh, the Cameron government, the Tory element of it, wobbles, pledges that referendum, gets over the line in 2015, is then effectively stuck campaigning in a referendum it really didn't want and for an outcome that is the opposite of what Farage wants. Were there many conversations about Farage and UKIP around the, the Tory party at the time?
0: Yeah, I mean, there, was a, there was a period where we just couldn't get the, we couldn't get the debate off immigration. So I'm, so I'm trying to remember precisely what the, the dates were. And it just sort of seemed to go on forever. And, and you know, I didn't want to talk about immigration as a, as an issue. And I don't, think, I don't think a lot of conservatives did. And we just couldn't, couldn't get it away. Uh, and so, you know, we try and try and deal with the issue by talking tougher on immigration. But the more we talk tough on immigration, the more salient it became as an issue. The more salient it became as an issue, then the bigger the threat Nigel Farage was. And you know, we were just stuck in a vicious circle, um, and and could 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 kind of break through it. I mean, the, the problem is you can't you can't win. Um, uh, you, know, you, you you need to you do need to unite the right. Uh, if you were going to win i mean i think i think cameron was sincere in his view that look at some point or other we're going to have a referendum on the eu and and if if we go if we go now and sort of see it off um then you know they'll shut up they'll give us a break we can crack on yeah, you know, you know, it won't solve it forever, but it'll give us a fair few years, and maybe the issue can disappear, and the Conservative Party can kind of, yeah, you know, hold together, and the unite can be the right can be united, and and you know, you've taken the wind out for UKIP sales, um, but obviously it didn't didn't work out like that.
1: No, it didn't. So that costs Cameron his 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 leadership, his 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 premiership. He goes, Theresa May becomes prime minister. She makes you secretary of state for work and pensions. Obviously, when you were serving Cameron, as you say, you were effectively working under Osborne, but now you've got a more direct relationship with, with Theresa May. How did you find working with her?
0: Yeah, good. I didn't know her that well um, before she appointed me to the to, to the cabinet. So initially as, as as attending cabinet as chief secretary to the treasury, and then uh after yeah, after the the 2017 general election, she promoted me to working pension secretary and um no it was a good relationship i mean you know, she was uh you know, we had a, we had a problem at that time with universal credit you know which was getting pretty bad press and yeah you know, there were some you know tough cases um and, and we wanted to sort of address those um i also think actually it was a pretty good policy and there were some good things that were being being done but you know i i managed to sort of make a case to find some more money for uc to try and sort of soften some of the hard edges uh and you know she she was always sort of very sort of you know sensible consultative it wasn't a priority area for her in the sense of you know she was a lot of her time was on other things she largely left me to to get on with it but we had you know we had moments where we were needing to meet with conservative MPs and reassure them and so on, and I found, yeah, I mean, I, you know, very professional, well motivated, you know, wants to do the right thing, very dutiful. Um, will, you know, would listen to 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 the arguments. So, you know, I found that yeah, she's she she's a very different character from George Osborne, who I'd obviously worked with sort of you know closely before, um, but you know, she was absolutely you know wanting to do the to do the right thing
1: and when that administration started to, to fall apart resignations of people like david davis and boris johnson mm. when you're at checkers and it's obvious that the cabinet signs up to this thing but it must have been obvious to you when you sat around the table that david davis and boris johnson are not going to hold the line on it i mean was it infuriating for those of you that were trying to be more pragmatic and, and did people speak up well, in those it- meetings
0: yeah, they, I mean they did, and we all had our turn. I mean there was there was a point at um, on the sort of lunchtime at Checkers, where uh, I can't remember who it was that David Davis was talking to, but David was talking to somebody, and I remember in, in sort of one of the rooms that we'd largely vacated, and I think I walked in with Damien Hines and and I heard. David say well if they think I'm just going to put up with this we've got another thing coming and Damien and I looked at each other in a kind of uh oh Uh, but as the day went on it sort of, you know, it kind of, it felt quite good. You know, we ended the evening. It was a very, you know, it was a really hot day, and we ended the evening with, you know, a, a dinner. But you know, we'd had a glass of bubbly on the in the gardens and checkers, which was lovely. And we had a dinner and spirits were really quite high. But it was it was really hard to to hold things together, and we knew that there was a risk. But the, you know, the reason why kind of checkers, the plan got through the meeting was that that the prime minister, Theresa, had a plan and they didn't really have a plan, you know, it was other than, well, we'll just tough it out and, you know, they'll give us concessions. And that just wasn't, you know, terribly plausible. Um, but yeah, at that point, and and, and I think the, the key thing I remember really about checkers or the reaction to checkers is that once David went and then after a bit of um, havering, uh, Boris Johnson went Uh, you know, just the reaction from the party and, you know, there was no one there supporting it. Um, And, you know, at that point I remember thinking, this is, this is really serious because, you know, the Conservative Party as a, as a whole seems to have taken such a purist position that if we can't, it's not, it's just not willing to compromise. And if we can't compromise and we can't get a deal and if we can't get a deal, where does that leave us? Um, so that was, that was, that was the moment I think when for me, you know, it it sort of crystallized into thinking, you know, this is going to be really, really a very, very difficult few months.
1: And did, did relationships break down? I remember Anna Soubry telling me at the time that other Tory MPs would sometimes look at her and Give her throat slitting gestures and this was this is long before the independent group this is just when mm. all the Brexit turmoil was going on. I don't know if you had a similar experience with other colleagues.
0: Not particularly um I'm I mean I'm I love Anna dearly. Um, she's a, But she's a much more combative figure than I am. Uh, and uh so I perhaps sort of steered you know clear of that. But, I mean over time it did you know there were there were moments in the whole um the odyssey uh, where it got a bit, you know, a a bit difficult and and so on. But I, I didn't, um, and you, you know, you have people who would walk past you and catch your eye um, who, you know, previously being reasonably good friends, but, but but my personal experience is I'm struck by the lack of personal bitterness that I have personally, you know, personally received. You know, I, I even went to the party conference In 2019, having had the whip withdrawn um, and went round, you know, various fringe events um, attempting to demolish the government's position. Um, And even then, uh, people were remarkably courteous. So so maybe I was just lucky. Are you going to go this year? Um, I am. I'm going to pop up for a day, um, but I haven't I haven't got round to getting a part. I'm not a party member and the costs are sort of quite, you know astronomical um so uh, and my various employers i didn't really feel inclined to persuade them to, to to pay so i'm going up and i'm attending a fringe event with michael heseltine uh, outside the secure zone um so so that might be quite fun
1: that sounds great so where's that on that if people listening to this are going to be there
0: Oh, oh very good point i should be able to tell you the answer um and I'm not sure I can off the top of my I'll head, what, but I'll, but I'll it, it'll it. be it'll be um, yeah. I'll Google it and read it out at the end. Um, but being interviewed by Kay Burley, so oh, wow. so so they so there you go. So that's you know a sort of the fringe conference fringe.
1: Well, that's where all the rebels are. That's where the that's where the exactly. fringe
0: really. I, I, that's I, where the cool sorry. kids are going to be. <laughs> <laughs> me, me and he- me and Heza.
1: <laughs> Just finally, then, in terms of what hope you might get internally from the Tory party in its future direction did you think the result between uh Rishi Sunak and Liz Trust was was closer than you thought it'd be
0: yeah a little bit um I mean, you yeah, know, not massively but yeah it was a little bit I thought I, I thought it would be at least 60-40 towards Liz um rather than what was it you know 57-43 uh so so look and, and look there's yeah. there's lots of I'm not, you know, as I say, I, I have no personal animosity towards Liz, um, but you know, there are there are a lot of sort of sensible, moderate people. I think who are still there in the Conservative Party, but it's it's diminishing. I think it is to, you know, it is, it is changing. You know, it's it's quite hard for people of, uh, you know. I would argue more sensible, pragmatic views, because you know you have to put up with a lot, and you might go, "Oh, well, it's an aberration." We've got Boris Johnson, and yeah, you, know, you stick that out for for three years, and then and, and then the leadership election goes in a particular direction, and and you know we we throw away our reputation for sound money, and you go, "Well, do you still stick with it or or not?" So I think you know I think it's um, uh, it, it's sort of quite hard but yeah the the yeah they there are still I mean there are lots of really good people there's lots of conservative MPs who I you know have a very high regard for who i you know some of whom I remain in contact with others others maybe less so uh you know there's obviously you know so there's a sort of sense of affection I've got there um but but I do think fundamentally that the the center of balance in the in the the centre of gravity in the Conservative Party has has shifted and I don't see it shifting back.
1: And do you get a feeling, I mean, maybe you draw hope from seeing what happened to the Labour Party where it looked as if though the hard left had completely captured the Labour Party and then it, and then it eroded so quickly after after the second election defeat uh, and how easily Keirston was able to not just capture the leadership of the party but shift the party so quickly and with seemingly quite minimal fuss to now what feels like it. Perhaps if the last election would have been close, the chances of Labour winning next time would be, would be even higher. Maybe that gives you some hope that, that a similar thing could happen in the Tory party. But do you get a sense from either former party members or just people like you, people who, who are in your political space, which is the sort of centre-right, liberal, centre-ground, but Tory, that people of that sort of, of ill would vote for Keir Starmer at a general election?
0: I'm not sure he's quite there yet. Um, in the in a way that if if the Labour Party was led by a young Tony Blair or or even an old Tony Blair, um, <laughs> just least, Tony Blair, just Tony Blair, yeah, <laughs> not, he's not that old. Um, uh, th- that 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 actually they would you know he'd he'd hoover up those votes, absolutely hoover up those votes. Uh, and I think um, I don't think Keir Starmer is 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 in that you know quite in 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 that league. Uh, I think if you were, I mean, like, this is going to be unhelpful to um, to to them. I mean, if, if if the if the Labour Party was led led by wed Streeting or Peter Kyle, um, then I think you know that would be causing all sorts of difficulties for. You know, for the Conservative Party in terms of those voters, and they'd be hoovering them up. Um, but I don't think Keir is 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 quite in 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 that position. But he is, I think. You know, he's evidently decent, and you know, he's got integrity, and there's there's some administrative competence he's demonstrated, and and, and and what have you. Um, I just come back to one thing: the comparison with you know how Labour transformed itself. The far left is very obviously a dead end electorate. You know, put aside the merits of the case. It's a dead end. You, know, you, just, you can't win. Uh, you know, they got lucky in, in 2017 because nobody thought that it was going to be close. Uh, and you know, they got lots of protest votes. Um, you can win elections on the right. I mean, it's been done. <laughs> it was done in 2019. Um, and, you know, I, I make the point about the electoral logic of not allowing space for Nigel Farage. So, so however, you know, whatever the problems the Conservative Party now faces, and I think they face very big problems for the next general election, you you, you know, I don't think the Conservative Party will go into opposition and go, you know what, we should, um, you know, maybe the European Union's not that bad a thing, or, or, you know, the case for... Greater levels of immigration are, are looking, you know, quite persuasive. Uh, I just don't I just don't think that's how the Conservative Party will 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 respond.
1: So there's actually a long-term problem that the Tories may face, which is the next election will be closer anyway. So either they scrape a victory or they they do lose either to a minority administration or somehow Labour do manage to get over the line on their own. In opposition, they're not going to learn the lessons and move to the center ground. They're going to continue to drift out there in space they're going to become even more right-wing
0: well i mean that's what parties tend to do when they lose elections is that initially it's um we just didn't shout loud enough you know (laughs) we weren't we we didn't connect to our core supporters and and it usually takes parties a while i mean it's remember that i mean it's in the last 43 years there have only been two changes of government in the fullest okay we've gone from coalition to Conservative majority. But, but yeah, that, that's, um, yeah, that's what tends to, you know, it's pretty rare for, 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 for power to transfer in that way. And it's partly, I think, because parties tend to tend to move towards their base, uh, or their core support. Uh, when they go into opposition and then realise that fact, that doesn't work so well, but but you know there is a there is a there is an electoral logic for the for the Conservative Party to go in that direction. I think there's also a lot, but there's a, there's a longer term problem, which is you know the Conservatives did well in 2019 by um, you know essentially winning more support from less educated voters born before 1960. You so even maybe 1950 um but you know as each election goes on there are going to be fewer and fewer less educated voters born before 1960 and that that you know that is a problem you can argue that old people become more right-wing as they get older but i think there is a cohort effect here as well Uh, and particularly as we get into the generations where you know the numbers who 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 went to university there are more graduates that tends to i think shape how people think Uh, and i think that is a that is a worry for the conservative party that you know that they well, um, you know their 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 support is based on a, a, a demographic that is literally dying out.
1: And also, so much of it was to stop Jeremy Corbyn. Corbyn was yeah. such a freak political opponent; he was totally out of the norm of anything Labour had fielded in leadership before. And galvanised a, a coalition, as well as obviously the deal that Farage did with Boris in pulling the Brexit Party out of the seats that might have had a completely different and an distorting effect in some of those areas. But Corbyn was the...
0: Yeah, I mean... He explains I, it more than anything else, even more than Brexit. Well, that, 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 is, that is true. And, I mean, I found that it was, it, was, it was my biggest problem running as an independent was that I had, um, you know, you, you, you go to people who were sort of essentially Conservative voters who, you know, were pretty favourable to me, thought I'd done the right thing, tended to agree with me on Brexit. But, but yeah, lots and lots of them voted Conservative, because they wanted to stop jeremy corbyn and you can say well you know facing for me i'm not going to put jeremy corbyn in but but you know i remember a text exchange i had with a, a, a friend on election day and she said well what am i going to do and i you know, i always assumed she was a liberal democrat but um you yeah, know well you know I've, I've really got to vote conservative because because otherwise we might have corbyn um and and as well lib dems are the Candidates, you know, kind of, yeah, but the logic of their position—if they're stopping, if they're stopping Boris Johnson, then it has to be with Labour. And if it's Labour, it's Jeremy Corbyn. So that—that that is a—you know—that was a big factor. And so, yeah, you know, I think he—he he, he kind of quashed the Lib Dem revival, made it harder for independence. I'm not saying have won, but made it harder for independence. Um, yeah, and 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 so I do sort of think if 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 Labour MPs had found a way of getting rid of jeremy corbyn our history in recent years would have been very different
1: certainly would well, david i could talk to you all night and pick your brains even further but i'm sure you have more important things to be doing this evening so i shall let you go and very great other things but time. not more important matt <laughs> <laughs> that was superb thank you so much Well, there you go, David Gork and I have Googled indeed that event. If you are at the Tory party conference and would like to, I mean, if you're going, why wouldn't you want to go and see David Gork and Michael Heseltine in conversation with Kay Burley? That's on Monday, the 3rd of October, and it's at 1pm in the afternoon at the gallery at the Hilton Garden Inn in Brindley Place. So um, there you go. If you go into the Tory party conference, that's how you find it. That was not easy to find, by the way. You can't find it on Google. I have to go through the Tory party website. But there you go. If you're going to be in Birmingham uh, on Monday, the 3rd of October, you can go and see um, David in conversation with Michael Heseltine and Kay Burley there. And I've put a link to the two articles that he's written of late uh, in The New Statesman and, the con- and on Conservative Home. They are phenomenal reads. They're brilliantly written. And what a phenomenal guest. and just. He's one of those people that you just want to spend all night talking to. You think, oh, actually. Not that, he, he, obviously you have to ask him about the time in government and it's and it's great getting his analysis of the current government and, and the, particularly the Chancellor and his uh, economic um, his plan, feels like too big a word, direction perhaps. Um, but of course, towards the end they go, oh God, actually. Going to have to get him back on for a longer discussion about... Um, in a way general politics Uh, but there we are what a phenomenal guest and what incredible guests are coming up at those live shows the 3rd of october mick lynch 17th of october grant chaps 7th of november david dimbleby 14th of november matt hancock 5th of November, Rachel Reeves, and then the 19th of December will be a Christmas special and more next year with phenomenal guests due to be announced. I'm also doing the last three performances of my stand-up show, Clowns to the Left of Me, Jokers to the Right, in London on the 18th of October at the Leicester Square Theatre, on the 21st of October at the Bloomsbury Theatre, and on, a third, uh, and on the 28th of October also at the Bloomsbury. So the last three chances to see uh, a show that is, of course, as ever, being rapidly updated to reflect, at the very least, a change of Prime Minister and monarch, but everything else that has gone on as well. So uh, thank you so much for downloading this. Please leave a review, uh, five-star written review, and um, tell all your friends, spread it far and wide, and uh, I'll see you um, see you on Monday the 3rd uh, of October for the next live show with Mick Lynch. What a phenomenal return to the Duchess that's going to be. See you there. Ta-ra.
0: only from rustolium